0: Well, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us today, we appreciate you being here. Love to get to know you just a little bit after the service. Love for you to take one of those cards that you have in front of you in the pew racks and fill them out. And and um, register your attendance with us today. Take a coffee mug on the way out. There's some by this door. There's some over by our Connect desk. A little 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 book there that talks about uh the church why the church is important not the nazarene church the church and uh just appreciate you visiting with us uh today we've started a series last week on the apostles creed the oldest arguably the oldest statement of faith that we have we have pieces of the apostles creed that go all the way back to 180 a.d uh we said um that was a time in the church history when the church had to go underground because of such persecution. And so there's a churches meeting here in secret and churches meeting here in secret. And uh, because that went on for years and years and years, there wasn't any collaboration between the churches. So this church over here that met in secret and this church over here met in secret could end up teaching different things. And so when they came out of secrecy and the time of persecution was over, they had some, they didn't have uniformity in what Christians believe. So, someone thought, some people thought, we need to have a statement of faith and we need to be uniform in what we believe. And many people believe that is what uh, the origination of the Apostles' Creed. That's why the Apostles' Creed came about, to say this is who we are as Christians. Last, Last week we said the Apostles' Creed is not scripture, it's based on scripture. I don't preach the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed in itself doesn't have any power, but it reflects what's in Scripture. So when we're preaching about the Apostles' Creed, we're we're preaching what Scripture says that is then reflected in the Apostles' Creed. We said it was a little bit like the moon has no uh, light of its own. It only reflects uh, the sun's light. And the Apostles' Creed, if you would let me say it like this, has no light of its own. It only reflects the light that is in Scripture. We said that we don't believe as Christians, we don't believe in incantations, you can't say something over and over again and you'll have good luck or God will be bound to help you in some way. Uh, it's it's, it's nothing, nothing like that at all. It is simply a statement that says what we believe as It doesn't say everything that we believe as Christians. But it's simply a statement that Christians around the world can adhere to. And I thought it would be good if we spend seven weeks talking about this. Last week, we just used the words, I believe in God. And we said, what does the Bible mean when we use the word G-O-D? And we preached on the eternality of God, that God is eternal. No beginning, no ending. Genesis 1-1 is not the start of God. God existed before Genesis 1-1. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. There is no end to God. Uh, You can't teach God anything. God already knows it all. Kind of like Levi, you know. I (laughs) owe you a dollar. And we tried to say how that applies to our life and that God is outside of nature. God's not bound by the flux and flow of nature. God's not bound by natural laws. And that's why we can pray to a God who's outside of nature that can do supernatural things, a God that can, that can heal blind eyes, a God that can part the Red Sea, a God that can, can put his hand on cancer, a God that can perform miracles that are outside of the realm of the understanding of the natural world because he is before the natural world. He's not part of the natural world. He's eternal. It's the eternality of God. A deeply, deeply theological message last week that I hope I was able to communicate to you in a pastoral way. You'll find that message on the internet. Today I want to go a little farther on the Apostles' Creed, and I want to go to I Believe in God, the Father Almighty. The Apostles' Creed sees fit to define God, and it uses basically three words to define God. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So when the Apostles' Creed, whoever wrote the Apostles' Creed, there are 12 statements in the Apostles' Creed, and and some people said it was named the Apostles' Creed because there's 12 apostles. I have no clue about that. But that kind of sound kind of weird to me. But um, whoever wrote the Apostles' Creed defines God with, I believe in God, it's two words, but it's one phrase. They're, they're, they're to be put together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And there is, it's just profound how much is in that name father almighty and if we are to believe in the biblical god i'm proposing to you from the apostles creed and more importantly not from scripture that god today is the father almighty now we have difficulty in our modern society holding those two terms together some people want to lean toward his almightiness, and some people want to lean toward his fatherliness if you let me make up a word But Scripture says over and over again, and I'll show you in just a second, that He is the Father Almighty with both of those things being held together. He is the Almighty One. As we preached last week, he's the eternal one, no beginning and no end, outside of nature, nothing he can do, nothing that uh, is, is, is beyond him. He is omnipotent, all-powerful, he is omniscient, all-knowing, he's omnipresent everywhere at one time. He is, he is a, God, he's a holy God, he is a sovereign God, he's a God of justice, he's a God of wrath. All of that would come under the heading of his almightiness, but he's a father. And what comes under the heading of a father? It's love and grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And it's in that title, Father Almighty, that we understand who the biblical God is. That we bring those two names together and hold them in tension. And there's great tension in those two names. There's great tension in those two names. But holding both of those names together is who we understand God to be. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. You, anytime we say anything on Facebook or you just hear out in the world that has anything to do with God's justice, with God's wrath, with the fact that he means what he says, with the fact that he has laid down commandments uh, uh, that are to be obeyed, anytime you get anything like that, and any, anybody says anything like God doesn't approve of that, Or God wouldn't want you to go there or that's not of God all of a sudden you'll get all very quickly people will lean real heavy on the fatherness side of God Well, my God Which is rather interesting statement My God (laughs) if You think about it Well, the God I worship Well, anybody can make up a God I mean, I mean, we could I don't know there's 300 people right here. I'm looking at me. I mean, we could have 300 different gods Maybe that's why the second commandment is there, that we're not supposed to make any grave graven image because we'll, whatever we will come up in our own mind will be less than the original. I, well, the God I believe in just accepts everybody. The God I believe in loves loves everybody. The God I believe in wouldn't. And that's okay. You can invent a God. But you'll hear me say over and over again last week and today, what I'm talking about today is not the God you believe in or the God that you imagine, or my God, I'm talking to you about the God that is revealed to us in Scripture. Now, I can make up any kind of God, and I can dream up any kind of God that likes this and doesn't like this, that hates this. and doesn't. Ha- I can do that on my own, but there's no power in that. There's no authority in that. The God that I'm to preach, and the only reason I get paid here to preach to you, is to reveal to you the biblical God, not some God I can invent in my own mind. And the biblical God is revealed to us as Father Almighty. Father Almighty. And everything that those two words mean when they come together. And I'll say it, and I'm, I know I'm inventing words, but the, His fatherness and His almightiness. His love, His grace, His compassion, and His godness you know what i mean he's a friend he's a friend that sticks closer to a brother but he means what he says i've told this story from this pulpit before some of you remember the cosby show and some of you that are young don't remember this but it was just a sitcom that was on and and Bill Cosby was Dr. Huxtable and he had a, a teenage son and the teenage son was was it Cleo? Does that sound about right? And, and, and Cleo was he'd done something like teenagers do something stupid. Gave What is it? Theo. 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 Alright. He had a twin brother Cleo I think. And, <laughs> and so Theo had done something stupid like teenagers do. And I maybe gave His dad some lip or I have no clue what he did that he shouldn't have done. And they were in Theo's bedroom. And Dr. Huxable, his dad, Bill Cosby, said, listen, boy, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. All right, he kind of showed his almightiness there. (laughs) You see what I mean? And they have to come together. If we're going to worship the biblical God the biblical God now I want to show you three scriptures that illustrate this there's there's many but I just want to show you three that illustrate this then I want to apply it to our lives in Exodus chapter 33 Moses says to God God I want to see your glory God I want to see your glory now what does all that mean what does glory mean I'm pretty confident that it means, God, I really want to see who you are here. Show me who you are in all of your godness here. Show me your glory. All of us that are, that are our fathers have had kids that we wrestled with on the floor, and they were four or five years old and weighed 50 pounds, and we're six foot and weighed 220. And when we wrestled with those kids, we did not show them our glory, did we? We held back, didn't we? Because if we would have showed them our glory, we'd have hurt them we held back. And Moses is saying, God, show us who you are here in all of your glory. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses said, now show me your glory. Verse 19, the Lord says, it's fascinating. I will he didn't ask to see his goodness, but in response to show me your glory, God says, I will, I will cause my goodness. So God here is saying that My glory, who I really am, me and my godness, is good. I will cause my goodness. I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you can't see my face because no one can live. After they've seen my face. I will have mercy on who I will have mercy on. I will have compassion who I will have compassion on. But you can't see my face because nobody can deal with it. Show me who you are. Show me your glory. while well, I'll cause my goodness. To to pass in front of you. And what's goodness mean? Well, I have mercy on who I have mercy on. I have compassion on who I have compassion on. But man, you can't even look at me and live. The story up here continues. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. You sang this old hymn, right? Uh, In the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I pass by Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face But my face uh, Not that you shall not see or you or you cannot see you Must not see You must not see continue, please Then the lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name the lord and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, listen, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and bounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Wow. Maintaining love to thousands, um, forgiving wickedness, sin and rebellion, th- showing love to a thousand generations. Yeah. Yeah. He does not let sin, does not let the guilty go unpunished. He punishes the children of their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Go back one slide, please. Here is God. He's compassionate. Show me your glory. Okay, you, can't, you won't be able to see it all. It's really, it's really my goodness is the best name for it. And I'll I'll, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by you. You can see my backside. And this is who I am. I'm compassionate and gracious. I'm slow to anger. I I am abounding in love and faithfulness. Next slide. And I maintain love to thousands. Yet does not let the wicked and the guilty go unpunished. And I think it's fascinating that God refers to this himself as my goodness. My goodness. You know, some churches every morning, they'll start with some type of an uh, invocation and they'll say, God is good. <coughs> oh, that was weak. God is good. All the time. And all the time. And what you're saying is, according to God here, you're saying that I am loving and compassionate and I'm slow to anger and I show my love to uh, generation upon generation. Could it be that a being is only really good if they combine Father and Almighty? You wouldn't call me a good dad if I just let my kids go nuts around uh, church and they're just running around creating all kinds of havoc around church and they're just totally undisciplined and they do whatever they want to at school. And You wouldn't call me. You wouldn't call me a good father because you may say that I have some kind of love for my kids and you could even argue that, some kind of love for my kids, but you say there's no almightiness there. There's no standard there. There's no truth there. You wouldn't really call me a good dad. Let's say we have a horrible tragedy at Xenia High School, and and we have some 15- <clears throat> or 16-year-old kid come in with a gun and just shoot the place up, and we just have a horrible tragedy. And 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 the 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 14- or 15-, 16-year-old kid is brought to justice, and he stands before the judge, and the parents of this 14- or 15-year-old kid are over here, and all the victims' uh, family and everything are over here. And the, the parents of the shooter over here are saying, well... He's only 15, he's had a bad upbringing, he's, he's been in foster homes all of his life, and, and, and he, he just he needs help mentally, and we just ask you judge to have, have mercy on him. And, and these, these people over here, and the judge turns and looks at them, and they're grieving because of the loss of their loved ones. And if that judge exercises no justice, I'm not sure we'd call him a good judge. I'm not sure we would. In fact, I think, I think I know we wouldn't. Could goodness be, it seems like it is in God's eyes, the coming together of mercy, love, grace, compassion with justice and wrath and holiness and almightiness and hating sin and those two things somehow are held together in the Godhead. And for you to worship the biblical God for you to worship the biblical God, you have to worship the God who is Father Almighty. Because of our personalities, it's easier for maybe us to relate to his almightiness or his fatherliness. Okay, I'm making up words. I know that I'm okay? And, because, and I know some of you well enough to say, well, yep, you will probably lean more toward his, uh, his father nature. Because that's just where your personality, you back there, I know you, you'd be an almighty type of person. Some people are just, some people that are by the book, the way it is, that would probably lean on God's almighty. Some of you are just so accepting and so kind and it just, you probably lean toward more his fatherliness. Well, the truth of the matter is they're both true. They're both true. And when you repeat the Apostles' Creed and say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, this is what you're saying. This is the God you worship. This is the God, the biblical God, that's been revealed to us. It may not be the God of your next-door neighbor. It may not be the God of your uh, aunt. It may not be the God of your cousin. It may not be the God of your coworker. I'm preaching to you the biblical God. He's love. He's grace. He's compassionate. He's merciful. all those things. He's infinitely loving. But he's a God of justice. He's a God of wrath. He's a holy God. He's a sovereign God. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. You see this in Scripture as well, uh, twice in the book of John that I'm going to point out to you just a little bit. What's that next Scripture that we have up here? This is in the garden the night before Jesus was taken to the cross, and you remember this story. The, the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus, okay, and, and, and Judas was there with him to point out which one that Jesus was. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, them being the soldiers, um, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with him. Listen. When Jesus said, I am he, they, Roman soldiers, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now listen. It don't mean anything to us unless you've studied this passage. I am he, the construction of that little Greek phrase that we translate, I am he. That's a a bad translation, but it's the best we can do with the Greek there. It is the same exact phrase that appears in Exodus chapter 3 with Moses at the burning bush, where, where God tells Moses, I am who I am. Same exact phrase. And the Bible says that the Roman soldiers... When, when Jesus says, I am he, used the same phrase that was used back in Exodus chapter 3, I am who I am, the Bible says the Roman soldiers fell to the ground. It's like, if you let me say this, it's like a little bit of his glory seeped out. It's like Jesus lifted the veil just a little bit. If you'll let me say this reverently, it doesn't sound reverent, but it, it fits, re, fits really good. It's like Jesus flexes just a little bit. <laughs> and the Roman soldiers couldn't even maintain, couldn't even stay upright in the face of the glory of a little bit of the glory of God. It's his almightiness. It's his almightiness. He let just a, just like a little bit of it And these hardened Roman soldiers. He didn't know Exodus 3 from Matthew 3. Follow. What do we have? Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, let these men go. He said, I've told you who I am. I am he. The same Exodus 3, that I am who I am. I am not because of Clarence and Ann Atherton. I just am. Nothing caused me. I'm not caused. I just am. Nothing else in this world, everything else in this world was caused. God is not caused. This is what we preached last week. And when he says in Exodus 3, and when he lets a little bit of it seep out here, I am who I am. I just am. There's no, there's no reason for me. There's no cause for me. There, there's no explaining me. I just am. He said, let these other guys go. You, you come for me. Let these other guys go. Next slide. And this happened so the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one that you gave me. Then Simon Peter, the, always the one that wanted to be the hero. He whipped out a sword and he... he Whopped off the ear of one of the Roman guards. And the guard's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put the sword away. Shall I not, listen. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? What's the cup, church? It's his death, right? It's his cross. It's his suffering. Shall I not drink the cup that the Holy One of Israel has given me? Shall I not drink the cup that the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth has given me? Shall I not drink the cup of the Judge of all the world? Shall I not drink the cup of the Omnipotent Sovereign One? No, shall I not drink the cup that Abba has given me, that Father has given me? Jesus has no difficulty holding together the cup of death that was given to him by a loving, gracious, compassionate, merciful being that we understand to be Father. Jesus has no trouble holding those two things together. We do. He says this cup of death, this cup of suffering, my Abba, my papa, literally Abba means papa. That's re- revealed in other places in scripture. My father gave it to me. Oh, your dad, oh, he, he, he wouldn't do anything. My father gave it to me. Oh, oh, that, that loving, merciful, that being, yeah, yeah, he wouldn't do that. My father gave me this cup. There's one more passage in John, and it comes in the first chapter. And it's it's a Christmas passage that we understand Jesus to be called the Word. And and, uh, John 1, 14 says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That means Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Here it is. preached this before. Full of grace and truth and that's a new testament way to say father almighty. Jesus came full of grace, full of compassion, full of love, full of mercy, but full of truth. There's there's a there's a there's a standard here. There's 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 truth in this world. Truth is just not what you Want to believe that it is truth. is just not truth because you believe it We've talked about this the other night some of you have heard that old saying that um, God said it. I believe it and that settles it. That's not really true The fact that you believe it doesn't make it truth God said it. I believe it that settles it there. There is things in this world that are truth whether you believe them or not If 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 your belief makes it truth that makes you in charge that red light means stop, whether you choose to believe that or not. Well, I just don't. I just don't that might be, it might mean stop for Greg, and it may mean stop for, for Tony, but it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't mean stop for me. Now, if a policeman sees you run that red light, you're going to get a ticket because there's truth, whether you believe it or not. Jesus came full of grace, and he came full of truth. And that's a New Testament way to say, Father almighty and as christians we're called to live christ-like lives we're called to live lives as jesus would want to live them and if jesus lived full of grace and truth it just seems like an easy assumption that we should live our lives full of grace and full of truth if we are made in the image of god and god in very essence of who he is is father almighty some way some way that fatherliness and that almightiness should come together in our lives. And it comes together as grace and truth. Now, how does, that, how does that come together? I was thinking on this, and I thought about Jeff Blackaby. About three or four years, we were at Young's Dairy Farm and we took the staff there for an uh, afternoon and had a staff meeting and played miniature golf or something one afternoon. And we were in there eat, ordering our lunch. Let me tell you, the waitress was just, she was the pits. You remember that, Harold? She was the pits, okay? Man, she didn't have a smile. She didn't, she, there was no, there was, there was no kindness in her voice. There was no uh, anxiousness to be hospitable to us. It was, it was really about the worst I've ever seen. Now, listen, it's truth that, a waiter or waitress should be accepting and welcoming and smiling and make you glad to be there and make you feel like an honored guest. That is truth. That's not even, that's, that's every single owner of a restaurant would tell you they want their waiters or waitresses to be that way. It's truth, okay? And she, she left after, she took her orders and stuff, and she left, and I go, man, what is her problem? And Jeff was sitting right here beside me, and he goes, well, you don't know what's going on in her life. I hate it when people say that kind of stuff to me. I was mad at her, and I want to stay mad at her. But Jeff goes, well, you don't know what she had to deal with this morning at home. And the fact of the matter is, if you're her her boss, you have to hold her to a statement, to truth. Because you can't have your waiters or waitresses treating people that way. But you've also, to some degree, and I I don't know how long you can can put up with that kind of behavior, but if a, a Christian boss, at least in some degree, ought to be able to understand that. I don't know her kid got kicked out of school this morning her husband told her he's divorcing her this morning I don't know and you give her a second chance and you say do better next time now if she doesn't do better the next time then you got to, I know that first service we have Bob Glazier that was here, and, and, and he's a basketball and a soccer official. Mike Reed is in our church. He's a basketball and a soccer official. Julie Ga- Glazier is a basketball and a soccer official. We may have more. You know, a, 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 a referee, a basketball referee, he's got to be a person of truth. She's got to be a person of truth. There's a rule book, and, and, and you have to be by the book. Greg Hebrink used to be a, a basketball. you got to be by the book. And, and if, if you just let this little thing go, well, there, it, that was a foul, but, you know, it wasn't too much of a foul. Let it go in the first quarter. And then by the, by the third or fourth quarter, they're killing each other. And if a basketball official doesn't have truth, the, 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 the coaches are going to go nuts. But if he's all truth, if he's all rules... And if it's all my way or the highway, and there's no grace about it, I've seen Bob referee games. I've seen at timeouts. Bob's holding the game ball, and he, he goes over to a little four-year-old, five-year-old kid in the stands and tosses that ball to him, lets him dribble it during, during uh, the, the, the timeout. I've seen him before the games talking to the coaches and, 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 and trying to be friendly to the coaches. I've seen him at, at free throw lines talking with the players, joking with the players. There, there's got to be some kind of a balance between grace and truth if you're going to be a good official we can just go through all walks of life and talk about how as christians we must back listen let's take the christian out of it let's just take the christian out of it how if you want to function well as a human being you need to have grace and truth come together in your life Just take the Christian out of it. If you're not a Christian here today, you can can say amen to that because that's just common sense, man. But it's revealed to you in Scripture. Your parenting, you you know this. There's got to be a standard and the child's supposed to come in at 11 o'clock. That needs to be... That needs to be 11 o'clock because if it's eleven ten, well, it's only 10 minutes late. Then next week it's eleven twenty, well, it's only 20 minutes late. And pretty soon it's, it's midnight. And that's how things get started in families. There has to be a standard in all of our families. You all decide on what that standard is. I don't decide what that standard is for you and you don't decide what it is for me. But there better be a standard in your parenting. But that standard must be communicated to that child in the context of love and grace and relationships. Because if if the child doesn't understand that you're communicating that in love and grace and relationships, the child will definitely rebel against that standard. It's got to be done in the context that I care for you, and I'm your dad, and I'm your mom, and I love you infinitely. And yes, I raised my voice at you when you were four years old, and you were crossing the McDonald's parking lot without looking both ways. And why did I raise my voice at you? Because I love you. Rules without relationship equal rebellion. We've said that a lot. That that operates in parenting. That operates if you're an athletic coach. That operates if you're an employer. You just throw down a bunch of lo- r- rules but have no person... That have no personality behind that have have it's nothing but rules and there's never a smile with that there's never a, a, a arm around the shoulder there's never a raise there's never any kind of compassion for the employee those employees are going to rebel and your kids will too have to come together. Well, how do they come? I don't know. You, you, where you find them come together, you have to find that place. I have to find my place. You have to find your place. And we can't bicker each other and say your place is not as good as my place. No, each family's got to find the place where they come together. Well, I wish you, should, you, should, they, you should have your grace and truth come together like mine. No, I, I, no I, everybody's different. All families are different. Everybody was, everybody's got different situations. Just balance it. For the for the good of your child, balance it. There better be something over here. I mean, there better be something there, but it better be in the context of love and grace and mercy and compassion. This is kind of tough. And, and, and we've all can sense this, all of us that are married. <clears throat> you know... Sometimes your spouse does something that just flat out gets on your nerves. Now, some, it may be really, really small, and, and because it's really, really small, you said, well, Mark, I just need to get over that. That's no big deal. And that's probably true. But there are some things that get on your last nerve, don't they? And you can stuff that if you want, but, you know, it's going to, it's going to come out sooner or later, some way. Probably won't come out in a good way. Let's let's say let's say that let's say that <clears throat> Sue disciplines our boys, and I felt like she was um, she just was really uh, she just really didn't chose a poor discipline, or she was too hard, not hard enough. I, I disagree with that. I really disagree with what she chose. Now, obviously, I'm not going to say anything in front of the boys, and I'm obviously I'm not going to overrule her because that would obviously be demeaning her, her authority in front of the boys. But when we get together by ourselves, you know, and have a conversation, let me tell you, I, I can I can, I better have that conversation with a, with a combination of grace and truth. If it's just truth, and I say, "How in the world could you do that?" Now, well, I've gone the wrong road there, right? I mean, I, I better do that in the context of grace and truth. Sue's done it for me. I mean, she, she, she's, 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 there's been plenty of times that she said, you know, Mark, you, know, you were too hard on him. You, you let your glory show too much there, Mark. Your, your, your almightiness. But, but, but she'll come to me gently, and she will goes, can I, you know, can I talk to you? And whenever she says that, I know I've done it. But she goes, can I... Your mommies and your grandmommies, they told you that it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Now, what are they saying when they say that? They said, it's not what you say. You can say truth all you want to. It's how gracious you say it. That's what they're saying. It's okay for you to say the tough truth, but you just need to say it in the context of love and grace and mercy and compassion. That's what your grandmother and your mommies and all taught you when they said it's not what you say, it's how you say it. They're saying grace and truth. They have to come together. Um, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I'm made in His image. So, and somehow the fatherliness and the almightiness needs to come together in my life but it's easier to understand in the person of Jesus who was the word and became flesh and he said he came full of grace and full of truth what about you are you do you lean more heavily on the truth side or do you lean more heavily on the grace side neither one of those is right They've got to come together for us to be a functioning person in this society, and especially for us to be a person that follows in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, God's got a problem because God is hes a God of justice, and he must must punish, punish sin. We saw that on the screen. He must do that because he can't wink at it. He can't, he's just not Santa Claus. He's just not a grandfather in the sky who, who just slides in the back door of heaven. That would defy who he is as holy and, and a God of justice. But he's also he's, he's loving and he wants to forgive and he wants to be compassionate. And so he's got, those are two completely opposite things. God's got a real problem. How do, does he be able to bring these together in his personality? Because in on one hand, and the other hand and he does it on the cross where God's mercy and grace and love and compassion and forgiveness shines brighter than it's ever shown before but also sin must be punished there must be a penalty. And somehow, even on the cross, you see his fatherliness in his almightiness. That he loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die. For your sin because your sin my sin demands a penalty or he's not a God of justice or he's not almighty and after all who wants an almighty that's not a father and who wants a father that's not an almighty our servers are coming to the table And I want you to come to this table today, knowing that this God, Almighty God, Almighty God, who must punish sin, He did. But He punished the only sinless one for you and for me. And on that cross, we see grace and we see truth. We see Father and we see Almighty. Jesus, there is no way that I can do justice to this subject. I pray now that through uh, impartation of your spirit that you'll do something to open hearts and minds to this truth that I just, there's no way that I can in my own human words. As we come to the table, as we gather around the altar, may we worship you as God the Father Almighty. May we worship your Son who's full of grace, full of truth. May we worship your Son who had only one that shouldn't have died for his own sin, but because of his love, and mercy, and compassion died for us to satisfy to satisfy to pay the penalty because you are a just God you are a holy God you are almighty God